Um, hmm. Can we talk about the Dan Crenshaw ad? No. Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, brought to you Ooh. by Tommy and Atticus. Tommy and Atticus. Is that allowed? Bread we'll find out. For the people. Bread for the people. The only podcast where we go into a Wikipedia hole, talk about Wikipedia, speak from Wikipedia, and try to make sense of the world around us. I am joined, right. as always, by John Miklas, who is only half white as of today, I believe. That's right, baby. I don't know if you heard, but the Slavs are no longer white people, according no to white people. something I saw According to white people. <laughs> uh, Which would be the most... I'm... Oh, I'm sorry. No, well, I was going to say, I'm joined by Alex Virgil, who is also half white, if you count the Japanese as white people. (laughs) That's great. And honestly, to any of the Japanese people listening who are likely people I know, if you didn't like that, (laughs) go watch Get Out again. Go to the auction scene. (laughs) You'll notice one old Japanese dude there. And, And then think about 20th century geopolitics and what you learned in high school. And think about think about who you are for a second. To any of the Japanese people listening, just know I don't think you're white. I'm just I'm just honestly too drunk off of the the oh, Slav juice, be- man. Slav juice, which has got more seasoning now than it, it did uh, yesterday. Ah, man, Slavic Congrats. food has no seasoning. <laughs> well, it's like uh, pomegranate juice. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, well, like Virch said, welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, um, the only podcast where we talk about Dan Crenshaw before the um, theme music rolls out, and then spend another good amount of time kind of meandering towards the main goal of podcast, which is to talk about Wikipedia. Um, If you are listening for the first time, thank you very much. Uh, if you want to see and engage with us more, we are on Instagram and Twitter. Just search the name of the show. Uh, you can also email us at hegelianfriendshipsimulator at gmail.com. Please reach out. Anything that you have to say, as long as it's good, uh, we are welcome good. to it. Uh, and then, Verge, do you have any old business? Um, No, because I was going to... I was, like, thinking of the time person of the year and being, like, shoot, like, maybe I should read this year's article. And then I thought, you know what? We already established that it doesn't matter for anyone except the person who gets it and the person who writes the article. So I said, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it for two minutes of nothing content. Save everyone the trouble. Good on you. Way to go, Verge. (laughs) Yeah, and then I did... And then I did watch some sci-fi since last time we recorded so i guess you could count that in the space embryo the space comedy. embryos yeah space uh, embryos. i i do want to say um listening back at that episode uh i was off more than i was on when it came to the time person of the year in terms of general assumptions 
Um, That's hilarious. Like every single time I was like, they didn't do this. They did do that. So, so, so fair enough. But I still think that this year's pick is absolute horseshit. I think it's, Uh, yeah. I think 2020 really Biden and Kamala are who we're going to remember from. Joe fucking Biden, man. Uh, So, so yeah, that's where we stand. We're not changing our view on that. Uh, It's dumb. It's time. If you're listening, we would like to hear why, but we're not reading the article. Uh, Or you could make a three and a half minute video satirizing uh, the Marvel comic universe. Then we'll understand it. You got to be more like (laughs) Crenshaw. He knows how to get to people. That guy. He's yeah. gonna make it. Um, I think it's important for uh, our listeners who haven't seen the Dan Crenshaw ad. One, you absolutely oh should go God, see it. Go watch it. But we should describe. Well, you got to describe it. Yeah, and I think I can actually do it from memory because I've watched it about fifty times at this point. <laughs> yeah, um, I can do it from memory. He <laughs> he's standing at a podium. Yeah, with his wife. I very much no. wonder if that's his actual wife. You know what I mean? Yes, it? it's hard to say because for the amount of time she's on it's screen, very hard to say. it could be like 10 different people. Yeah, that that has like something sinister about it. Like it's yeah. like it's like somehow like her hair color is sending a message about her disposition yeah. as a human being. And the thing is it's not it a Karen that way. It's not a Karen. It's a different right. no, it's brand very different. of it's very like different. the purge Kellyanne Conway republican woman you know yeah oh yeah it's very yeah. very weird uh so yeah he's standing next to her he's he's talking about american exceptionalism which i found yeah. to be a very hilarious like his stump speech is like america is the greatest country that's ever existed and we know this you know it's like very like like you really couldn't you could not add any substance to this like it had to be the most like baseline like lack of a heartbeat level um, yeah and then somebody whispers in his ear, and they and he's like, "Oh, okay." And he leaves his speech. Leaves he just his leaves. speech. Just <laughs> leaves the, his the, speech for the aforementioned woman to take over. She yeah. doesn't really though, so she's just kind of left there on the podium, and then they cut away. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what happens. It could be awful. It could. It could. You know, be on like all of the the humor <laughs> websites. Uh, like the, I don't know. It, it could be Dan anything. Crenshaw leaves. So, so then he's walking down the the hallway or like by yeah. back scene back door uh, you know, like the backstage mm-hmm. and he's taking his tie off. He takes his shirt off. He has a long sleeve black shirt underneath <laughs> his Oxford, and he's like, "What's the situation?" And they're and like, it's, "And it's two aides who are who you can't tell if they're actors or real aides because they look." Like, they're both bad at acting and bad at being AIDS. They are absolutely neither actors nor AIDS. And I would say, um, to go full circle, they probably own one of those coffee companies uh, where they want to be able to shoot the whole Bullet time. Bullet time yeah, coffee bullet, co. Bullet, bullets in the homeless guy coffee Gun company. Gun smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, the one guy really is scary looking. Like, the taller guy with mm-hmm. the beard. Like... Mm-hmm. He has been to some rallies, man. He's got like a weird, a really weird energy to him. That's mm-hmm. like, I'm nerdy, but I'm also a psychopath and conservative and a libertarian, but I'm also too big. 
like he's too big of a nerd, you know? Yeah. And there's yep. just like something. No, it, 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 yeah, because it's like, like trying to be a meathead, but not, not because you're so not it internally, you can't like wear it. And instead of clothes, it's like your body. Yeah. You're just not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, they give him okay. a mission, I think. A mission. Yeah, they say far left activists are trying to take over the Senate or something. And, but and that's but then okay, this is another thing. <laughs> they they cut to like B roll and admittedly, I mean, it would be taken out of context, but this year has created a lot of B roll of mm-hmm. quote unquote far left activists like causing damage. Like mm-hmm. they could have, they could have cut to like the third precinct police station in Minneapolis on fire. They mm-hmm. could have, you know, to Portland to anything. Mm-hmm. No, they do B-roll of Kamala Harris answering a question about Medicare for all. It's like, I mean, from a political messaging standpoint, it's like, what is again? It's 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 coming from a political lens that nothing actually can get done. That mm-hmm. that there that no no material change is possible. It's like, oh, this is a spectacle. We know it on our side, they know it on their side. Let's just talk about like how goofy it is. Yeah. Oh god, are we the ones that are not seeing the level of irony that politicians are <laughs> It's like it's and like Crenshaw on a different goes home. Yeah. And he's just like, oh man, I kind of feel bad about doing this, but fuck, like he point, he's got no, he's got too much of a stupid shit eating smirk on his face during no, the whole yeah. ad for him to like understand that this is cringe. Like, no, he's he yeah, not thinks, at that like reverse. He thinks reverse. this is the coolest shit of all time. Yeah, um, and so they they uh, so then he's on the plane, and then he has like a Tony Stark like. Uh, digital assistant lady who's like a British woman. Who's British? Why yeah. is she British? Who's just like a British, a British why woman. Does, why does a Texas congressman have a British assistant? Mm-hmm. And she says, Antifa, ironically named because they act like fascists. And you're like, okay, yeah. editorializing digital assistant. Also, she comments on his skydiving form, which is which... like such a masturbatory... Which is hilarious because you look at it and you're like, uh, when you first see it, because I watched it with my roommate, Klee, yeah. and he jumps off and Klee just goes, uh, what was that form? And then she goes, <laughs> great form, I hope you don't mind me saying or whatever. Like, <laughs> it's like, yo, Dan, like the people that are going to be your base are people who have probably jumped out of airplanes like that. And like, we only have the budget for you to try this once. So... If you don't nail it, we're just going to add in post. Good form, by the way. Good form, yeah. It's all it's <laughs> gaslighting. That is gaslighting, Dan. Is gaslighting. You're gaslighting America. Terrible. Um, and then... And then they cuts to a shot of a line of Antifa patrolling a field. Mm-hmm. Patrolling an empty field in the an middle empty of nowhere. Field, a completely empty field. Like, what are they... And, and also, not holding guns or anything dangerous. They're holding no. wrenches. Yeah. Wrenches. Mm-hmm. And they're looking and around like they're in a World War II movie. They all look exactly lines. like the doofy big guy with the beard. They yes. all look like Texas libertarians. All of them. So then they cut to... So then what? He's like, I, it, while he's flying, she's like, would you like the coordinates for something something? And he's like, 
no, I want to see the welcome party. Yeah. And then it cuts to these two guys who... He cuts to these two guys who you genuinely can't tell which side they're supposed to be representing. Right. Because they have to hire these, like, alt-right, you know, coffee guys it reminds to play me, Antifa. Yeah. It reminds me of um, when, like, when we were in our early 20s mm-hmm. and we, you know, like, us and our friends tried to make videos, like, to quote-unquote, like, get famous or go viral uh-huh. or something and make it. Uh-huh. And we didn't know anyone that wasn't, like, 20 to 25 years old. Mm-hmm. So everybody in the video, no matter what you're what you're talking about or, like, you're doing, is just, like, the exact same age and looks the exact same age. And it looks like you made it when you were 16, you know? That's yeah. what it felt like. It's like, oh, you're playing a dad? You have, wear glasses. It's the best we can do. Yeah. It's that level. I always judge, like, music videos or videos online, like, the, the level of legitimacy of a creator with the diversity specifically of age of the actors that are playing in whatever Mm -hmm. they're doing. Like that's like a sign of true legitimacy. If you like have, if you know an actor who is above 50 years old, you know what I mean? Yeah. And with Dan Crenshaw and this ad, it's like clearly not a single person is not one of his like supporting constituents. Mm-hmm. And so they look like morons. Like the Antifa just like looks like so doofy. And then they have. Oh, I mean, I guess that's what they were going for. The but. two guys in the car have lines that are like, "Where is this guy? I don't even know why I'm angry. Oh, because the news told me to be." And I'm sitting there going, "I still don't know which side you're supposed to be. Like, <laughs> who are you? Are you his people? Are you not?" And then he lands on the hood of the car. He punches through the windshield and implies that his politics are going to be violent against uh, his own country folk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, is that they didn't do anything. They're sitting in a car. Yeah. Like, this is bad, this is bad politics. You shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't hurt an American constituent. You're a congressman. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, Dan Crenshaw. And it is, and it is, it is such an example of like politics as spectacle, like mm-hmm. where politics, because the American system is so fucking broken that mm-hmm. politicians have no ability to 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 enact any actual material consequential um, outcomes for their constituents. Mm-hmm. That it's entirely spectacle. So it's all culture war and it's all pop culture. And these fig and and honestly, like even politicians that I like, get get sucked into this. Like AOC is not is yeah. not exempt from from this like politics as spectacle and like or or mm-hmm. politicians as celebrity, um, mm-hmm. kind of concept. Yeah, but I did want to I did want to say like that that ad in particular. One of the things that the kind of conservative media and and particularly like conservative entertainment at large uh-huh. haven't been able to like narrow down is uh-huh. what they actually think of antifa um in <laughs> yeah, the sense well, that you can't define it yeah it, well first of all yeah because it's not a real thing it is a completely yeah. made up thing and second so they they want them to be these like violent street thugs mm-hmm. but they cannot 
help themselves from feminizing leftist men. And so mm-hmm. they, they're like, oh, they're these violent, angry, militant people that like you should be scared of for your grandma's sake. But then they also want to say that they're these like effeminate, like yeah. sissy babies that don't know, like that don't actually know how to fight. And you can't do, you can't square that. You can't. They do, can't yeah. be both. I mean, they talk cannot about be both. Projection, like you, yeah. It's like you can't call someone a snowflake and then claim that you are threatened by them. Yes, exactly. You, you I know, mean, you just don't. It's a paradox. Uh, if yeah, if you're listening. Uh, listen to or go watch the Dan Crenshaw ad. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. All right, Verge, let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into. Yeah, it. it's been um, fun. Um, yeah, I think you're up. I think you are. You first? starting. Okay. Yeah, I did. What did we do last time? Yeah. Well, you did space embryo. Space time. embryo. Space embryo. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and we don't have to if. How do you do? You want me to go first, or you want to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay, cool. Because right, let's this hear is it. this is one of those where it's a whole, so there's no single article that's too uh, in depth. But the first thing I noticed in unusual articles, the first thing that caught my eye was list of Las Vegas casinos that never opened. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my first question was, oh. Does this need to exist? Two, what Las Vegas casinos don't work and why? Considering Las Vegas being such a weird, such a bizarre and yet astutely representative American concept. Yeah. Because you get my jump in. Have you heard my. Yes. Please. Yeah. No, no, no. Go. Keep going. I, you're oh, on a okay. roll. You're on a roll. I want to hear it. Okay. Because yeah. you get you have places like Monaco, Monaco. You have places like Macau, but it doesn't have the hodgepodginess of Vegas and Atlantic City. But yeah, I'm, but... I'm looking at the list of Las Vegas casinos that never opened, and there are 45 on this page, and these are casinos that never even existed, and yet there's a whole page about them. And the funniest one is the first one really sparked exactly like who I am and like the things that I'm thinking about right now. Because the first one on the page that didn't work, Asia Resort and Casino. Awesome. Awesome. Where the Palazzo, where the Palazzo currently stands. And for listeners who don't know, John and I are pretty well versed <sighs> in everything Vegas minus like high roller shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've been to, we've, we've each been to Vegas 25 times at I've been, least 20, I think over 20 20 to 20 yeah 20 to 25 times Can, 20 all right i gotta jump in before you before you get into the okay, casinos please. because i have please. a like a very like kind of i've thought about this a long time and i have a theory about las vegas okay wonderful because this is what i wanted to get into like yeah, the article yeah. itself doesn't get into any single project in detail yeah but i want to this is what i want to talk about las vegas okay. is the world's first and only postmodern city. Amazing. And it is so so basically and I say this in the sense that mm-hmm. um the like if you talk about the arts and the progression 
of mm-hmm. of art, particularly literature, but also paint. Actually, no, also very much painting as well. Mm-hmm. Like um, in the nineteenth century, you had um, like romanticism, right? And um, it was it was an, an an intentional attempt to paint a a, a scene and an emotional mm-hmm. display that like strictly through the formatic lens of of um you know like of uh like a thing true to form it was supposed to be a picture right. you know right. like the beauty in the picture of something evoking emotion right leads and into the... impressionism and yes. sorry no, no 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 what were you gonna say I was going to say it's it's the idea that the objective world provides a certain subjective beauty, absolutely, and trying to combine both, right? Okay. Yep. But continue. So then, modernism mm-hmm. is the breakdown of form. It's an awareness mm-hmm. of form, and mm-hmm. it's an awareness that your your art whatever the um, kind of the way it is displayed, the presence of it, um, mm-hmm. there is a creator that mm-hmm. is self-aware. And so the actual image itself or the words on the page, they start to break down. And there is a, there's a certain awareness to the art. There's this like, this like realization that the world is complicated and messy and Therefore, things may not look as if they are what they are, but mm-hmm. they have meaning. Right. So Picasso, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, modern art might not look like what it's supposed to look like, but that thing, it means something. Mm-hmm. Postmodernism <laughs> is the breakdown of the form to the point that the things no longer have meaning right. and so so from a from a semiotic lens like semiotics in the sense that you look at a um at a glass or a cup mm-hmm. and you're like that is a cup i have a name for it i know what it does it carries water i drink from it you know what i mean like it has mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. las vegas mm-hmm. or and and so uh, so not quite there yet, but like, like, um, uh, this is not a pipe. You know that painting, right? It's a pipe, and underneath in French it says, "This is not a pipe." I mean, that is like the most like pure form of of postmodernism, right? It's yeah. like, no, this image that you think is the thing that you think because you have an, an attachment. You're like, I see a pipe. I know what a pipe does. It is not a pipe. Las Vegas is that city in physical form. Yes. You see the Statue of Liberty, you know what the Statue of Liberty is. You have a, a connection in your head. This is the Statue of Liberty. This is New York City. But in Las Vegas, the Statue of Liberty is also there. So is the Eiffel Tower. So are the Venice Canals. And none mm-hmm. of these things have meaning. They don't actually mean the thing that they look like. And it is... It is a complete and utter trip, and it is it, everyone in the world should go there at some point and revel in how weird and unintelligible it is as a place. It is a city in the desert 
that should not exist, and yet these images that exist in it don't connect to the images that you have in your head. Oh, thank you, John. <laughs> thank you. You you have just nailed exactly why I even brought this entire thing up. Because, you know, what I love so what I love about Vegas, for example, like a very tiny sliver of what I my my experience that I enjoy in Vegas is going to New York, New York and going to Nine Fine Irishmen <laughs> and pretending that I am just like a cuz I have a weird taste for irish music and so that's like where i get to go to kind of like sing with a little bit of this yeah you know just like drink and sing and the thing is it's safe because i'm not actually in a boston bar where me wearing a hawaiian shirt as a long-haired asian guy is like the fuck is this guy doing here but it's ve- because it's Vegas, because of the postmodern detachment, yeah. I get to still enjoy that vicarious. It's a simulation of a simulation. Very interesting. Exactly. It's escapism. And, and, mm-hmm. and you hit the right word. I mean, it, it, it is a physical place, but it is a simulation. Um, mm-hmm. It's not unlike what like many science fiction writers in the 90s thought the internet was going to be right right like this virtual reality place you Mm -hmm. know if you ever read snow crash by neil stevenson or like or even ready player one like that conception uh that's vegas like that is what vegas is now um just a an analog version of it which is why and, and and for casual listeners who like are casual about their intake of like media and art and stuff the next time you see a dilapidated vegas in a movie there's a reason and this is the reason when you see watch blade runner 2049 and vegas is dead it it's intended to make you ask why dead dead vegas is there and you have to think about vegas in this way as like a simulation of a simulation and yet it is like the most making it city Right. Because people want that. Oh, God, the human condition. Yeah. So, so it's funny because to kind of like, oh, thank goodness for you. Because when I was like looking through this, n- not entirely sure you would, you know, I was like 98% sure you would glom onto this in the way that I was hoping you would. But I was like, oh, man, I, I better have some like reading points just in case. But you really nailed it because it's like. You know the names of all of these Asia Resort and Casino, which is in its itself. I mean, that is obviously going to fail in the mm-hmm. sense that uh, Asia. It, it, there's no. There's no. There's no semiotic connection to Asia. Exactly, it's, it's too, too large. Broad. It's too broad. It's too broad. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and it's it's where the Palazzo is. It was supposed to be where the palazzo is and the palazzo is not 20 years old it's like 15 years old at most so this asia resort was planned in like 05 um that's awesome there's a caribbean casino there's some that are like cool that i could see working carnival which is like basically circus circus but with more of a uh you know i'm a brazilian 
Yeah, but there like is Carmen. there's a there is a um a Rio is a mm-hmm. yeah. So like yeah. some of these make sense, and they were just like you know partnerships that broke down, whatever. Like local residents being uh, anti and things like that. Um, the Harley Davidson Hotel and Casino, which I'm surprised Funny. doesn't exist. Yeah, um, I and I am the kind of Vegas person who would very easily find the Harley Davidson to be my favorite place. Despite I mean, my we, lack. Yeah. Yeah. Like the casinos I like have nothing to do with what their theme actually is. Um, yeah. There's a moon. certain, I mean, I th- I think that there is a, a certain, um, the casinos we really liked were tirelessly devoted to their theme Mm-hmm. And their mm-hmm. and and maybe not even their theme, but their ethos. Mm-hmm. And it didn't hurt that a lot of them were shitholes. Like, like oh. we liked shitholes, but but that was part part of the charm of certain Las Vegas casinos is that they are that they are seedy. Like that is part of their ethos. It's, and if they yes. don't understand that, it's like I the story I always love is at Gills at Bill's Gambling Hall. <laughs> like after midnight, if you order a, a Red Bull and vodka, you get a Mountain Dew and vodka. It's like always my favorite. It's like, what is happening here? Yeah. Rest in um, peace, Bills. Bills, RIP for mm-hmm. sure. That whole little like section, RIP, to be honest. The last bastion of like Vegas for normies. Um. I there's another one, Pharaoh's Kingdom, which is interesting. What? Oh See, wow, so, that's cool. Yeah, Pharaoh's Kingdom. But uh, interestingly enough, there is Luxor. I wonder if it was before. You know, Pharaoh's Kingdom makes sense. It would yeah. fit right in. But uh, another interesting one is uh, the Titanic. Wow. In 1999, Bob Stupak, uh, who is like you know a world series of poker guy super bowl of poker guy yeah and like you know became a casino owner i don't know which came first he was planning a resort themed after the titanic which wow. made me wonder like does is vegas exempt from the concept of either too soon or appropriation? Is it like when you play Cards Against Humanity, if you want to have a good round, you have to establish that all bets are off? I, I mean, I think it, it, it depends who you ask, right? Like, like, all right. Good, like all things. I mean, to me, it does in certain ways. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and not in the... Well, but also it doesn't. I don't know. I feel like, um, like I, I think that the Titanic themed casino is probably a bad idea, um, mm-hmm. but not in the sense that I'm offended by it, but more in the sense that it is dumb, <laughs> right? And, right. And 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 largely, almost to as a rule, appropriation. Or off- offensiveness, offensive, yeah, uh, are completely 
uh, are cheap. Like they, they don't work not because they are the things that they inherently are, but they don't work because they suck. Like mm-hmm. when you when you're when when you're because those things are almost always intended to do the thing that they apply to. You know, mm-hmm. like like the Washington Redskins. You know, <laughs> like 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 these things are not these things cannot be separated from the the issue that is levied on them mm-hmm. because if they were more nuanced that thing wouldn't be levied on them right you know yes it, um there there are i mean if you can do it right you can do anything you want uh mm-hmm. but you so often the people that attempt to be offensive or appropriate uh-huh. suck at it you know yes you're absolutely right you have to have a certain amount of reckless abandon and going back to what we were talking about it's like you gotta be someone who understands irony satire paradox and postmodernism so okay wow i'm really glad you enjoyed this but what this reminded me of is one of my favorite twitter threads of all time um which came out in 2017, 2017. It was a Twitter thread about the Cheesecake Factory and okay. how it is a complete postmodern American capitalist hellscape. <laughs> so I'm going to read a bit of the... Uh, yes, please. Yes. This, like, there are two articles slash threads that woke me up more than anything kind of in a long-term way this is one of them and the other one i've already mentioned it was the article about the hunger games and how people don't realize that they are more district one than they are katniss and that kind of thing in america right it's like when there was an occupy movement at ucla and you're like well by having access to going to ucla you're kind of already in the one percent you have to remember how big the one percent is Right. You know, like, you know, but anyway, so the Cheesecake Factory, (laughs) hard pivot from Vegas. The Cheesecake Factory essentially grew out of a Los Angeles bakery business. But then in 1992, uh, they brought on hospitality designer Rick McCormick and shit went off the rails. We're talking Victorian Egyptian rococo off the rails yes so you got greco-roman cornices seashells above the pseudo arched doors topped with a dome airlifted from fucking saint basil's and there's a picture of and there's a picture that you would if you were just walking by it you'd go yeah that's a cheesecake factory but after this tweet you're like holy shit you're absolutely right it's like four different styles all in one Awesome. The interior is a world of aesthetic chaos that feels like a mix between a Fry's Electronics, an overgrown Panera, and a laser tag arena. <laughs> it's italicized sensational. <laughs> this is like the <laughs> I feel like Bill Hader right now on SNL. Yeah, it's got everything. It has everything, yeah. Palm trees sit aside 2000s chic glass lighting fixtures, French limestone floors, mosaics, fresco-like murals, 
uh, pseudo-Egyptian faces top columns with hybrid palm frond lotus blossom designs and pseudo-hieroglyphics. It's unchecked white exoticism slash orientalism run amok with a huge budget. Some elements like the face's third eye and the Sauron-like sconces borderline on occult flavor. Oh my god. Um, I am I am sending you the thread on the chat so you can look at the pictures. Yes. And if you haven't, um, just literally all you have to Google is Cheesecake Factory aesthetic or Cheesecake Factory postmodernism. It's crazy. Um, so the Cheesecake Factory blasts you with a luxury dining aesthetic while cutting some bizarre corners. And if you've ever been to a Cheesecake Factory, you should understand this. They serve you water in tankards, seat you in wicker chairs at marble tabletops. None of them aesthetically uh, cohesive. Then you realize your tankards are plastic, your wicker is plastic, and your table is vinyl-lined particle board. Oh my god. Both ostentatiously gaudy and consistently cheap from the fake plaster walls to the fake wicker chairs... The Cheesecake Factory is almost reminiscent of a theme park. Almost. The more you stare at this and see elements like the tacky booth cushions and glass dividers slowly emerge, the more surreal it gets. And I remember I remember reading this thread for the first time and thinking, oh my god, architecture culturally, historically, especially in the U.S., is absolutely wild because nothing in my opinion gives you a sense of deep time right than the idea that like if you're a west coast american there are no buildings that you know that are more than 150 years old at, right. mo- at, most. at most at most the old buildings in our minds are from like the 20s right and yeah. so you go to the east coast and you go wow these buildings are 300 years old that's crazy and then you go anywhere else in the world and you have structures that were thousands of years old from the same culture, more or less, that still exists there. And it gives you a real, like, temporal understanding of where America is. Why does the Cheesecake Factory exist? Like, what is the... And what this is, is it? How did it work? I mean, I think that that's almost more interesting in the sense, like... I, I'm not. I mean, uh, there is let's, plenty let's to be. It. There's plenty to be critical of the Cheesecake Factory about, but like the fact that it's because it was '90s. It was '90s. It was still very much post-themed, casually themed, sensationalist kind of like the Orientalism. Uh, what What would the cuisine is? So is the queen cuisine just like? American, like what? What? Well, we that's even, the thing about Cheesecake Factory. Is it the? Is, it, is the Cheesecake Factory the definition of America? Like, are we? Are we? It getting is. Into, that's like, the thing. Are we actually that's the full thing. circling into the Cheesecake Factory is good right now? We might be. Well, the Cheesecake Factory is America because yeah. Here's the thing that's on the thread that I completely agree with because I've been to the Cheesecake Factory within the last three years, and the menu is a fucking novel. Everyone who's been there knows this. It's a right. fucking novel. Not only that, 
there are like the same items on different pages. Like similar and weirdly the same items on you have no idea there's no rhyme or reason <laughs> oh my to god. It. Um Oh my god. This is the final tweet on the thread about it. There is nothing more quintessentially American capitalism in favor than the Cheesecake Factory. Wealth run wild, chaotic visual fantasies realized with no aesthetic discipline, an obsession with appearance of luxury, Mm -hmm. gross excess that excels at feigning its quality. Having said that, the saddest part is that it's good. Not bad, not great, but good. Better than mm. an Applebee's, better than a TGI Friday's. And this is the guy that's writing it. I want to say I hated it, but in truth, I couldn't. That was probably the most disappointing part of all. This is that thing where in our late 20s, you know, we I think we've spent almost 10 years coveting holes in the wall hole in the wall places Mm -hmm. and i still will pick a hole in the wall over a cheesecake factory any fucking day but there is there's something about the unabashed middle classness of family 20th century family restaurant aesthetic in the u.s i've often fantasized about what nationalizing the restaurant industry would be like (laughs) and and it sounds ridiculous because like even like to me like as a an avowed socialist uh Mm -hmm. i think a part of the thing that like should make people more comfortable with like that ideology and my my own ideology is that like like I still want small business to flourish, right? Like I mm-hmm. like socialism doesn't mean we're taking over like this, but at the same right. time, I would <laughs> but uh, I was thinking about it and I was like restaurants are they add and and it's been a tough year for me and I think it's been mm-hmm. a tough year for a lot of us so that restaurants and bars and like nightlife and like going out not to like get drunk or like party or uh, like but but like being in public eating food having a drink adds so much texture and vibrancy Mm -hmm. to my life it's one of the things that i care about like the most deeply in my it brings me more enjoyment and joy than almost anything else in my life it's culture yeah and you know a lot of what we talk about is history in the sense that we're talking about culture but what we've been missing so much this year is the actual being a part of culture. Right. And yeah. and part of that that I think about, I'm like, well, what if restaurants were nationalized? Is that if if a restaurant no longer had the obligation or the pressure of a profit model, if it was mm-hmm. about, if it was a a the pure substance, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was purely about, all right, what, what can I do in this space to create, create joy for other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
and and that is a a fundamental part of the American dining um, environment or industry that is like broken completely. Is that is that for the majority of Americans, like this cheesecake factory in the mm-hmm. mall, like is going out and and yeah, it, and it's it is, it's like it, a it's special like their, occasion, yeah. It's there, and, and and I think that that cheats people out of like what is should be like truly like the texture of life and the fabric mm-hmm. of it all, you know. Um, and and I don't, I mean, I, this is pure fantasy. Like this is uh-huh. probably my most fantastical and like not even something that I even would like call idealism, but like when I daydream, I think about it. I'm like, God, yeah, what? would people what would what would what would restaurants and bars be like if like people were given them and allowed to create them for their own merit of their ideas rather than their the 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 investment that they have or like the 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 money backing them um and then i start to think about the opposite which is what i feel like like we were very much going towards that. Like the '90s were a time of consolidation in restaurants, and like the chain mm-hmm. was king. And and it, it was a, admittedly like a really bad like last decade for chains because mm-hmm. people our age, I think, for the most yeah. part, like really fucking hate that. Yeah. But a year like 2020, it's a great equalizer. It's like if you have no money that's, in the bank, like that's what's tough. Yeah. Is the idea of having to in this year 2020 rely on the exact chains that i wish didn't run yeah our industry like you know what was great when i visited japan one time uh there was a small okinawan hole in the wall bar slash you know it's a one counter place Mm -hmm. and my cousin loved it and the dude that ran it same age as us Knew my cousin, served six people at a time, hung out with them, and it was like the best food. And that's what I wish for to be the norm. Well, and and I'll tell you why it's not uh, in the States, and you know it too, is that unbridled American capitalism is Mm -hmm. built around growth, Mm -hmm. fundamentally. Business, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you own a business... You're, I, I see this all the time at work. I question it all the time and I never get a good answer. It's like, we, we talk about, all right, well, we're going to grow 20% next year. We're going to grow 15%. We're, and it's like every year you're talking about growth percentages on top of growth percentages. And mm-hmm. oftentimes you don't hit those growth percentages, but like that's the only way that you discuss business. Business right. is about growth. And it's not. And for most of the world, business is not about growth. And particularly food and beverage. Restaurants are not about growth. They're about, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to put words in you or the Japanese people's mouth, but they're about mastery of a craft quite often. I, I agree. No, that's and, absolutely right. And the thing is, the mastery of the craft will bring the, maybe not yeah. necessarily growth, but the kind of, like, flourishing but we've that got we're really desiring. We've got fucking worms in our brain in this country mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we cannot we can't like 
and and I don't even I mean look I'm not I'm not trying to talk down because I'm I if I owned a business if I had my own restaurant I would be as fucked up by this all mm-hmm. as anybody else is that just accepting your place in the world and your thing you're doing like we cannot do it Americans mm-hmm. cannot do it we can't be mm-hmm. like I just want to do this and I want to be a master of it I want to be the best at it and this is what I'm going to do like I think that we are so stuck on like um like linear you know like xy growth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. across all aspects of life that we can't imagine the idea of like plateauing hitting a, like a thing and just like doing it forever it's right. it's it's um it's claustrophobic because in the u.s i don't know but it's i think i think for our generation like in the u.s the idea of doing something forever is tied with the idea of settling as an office monkey yeah totally so yeah, like no, the exactly. idea There's... of doing any one thing forever is just so ugh. it's very interesting but that is i think truly what like i think the cheesecake factory hodgepodge postmodernism is like a good example of america as a whole you know and like and the ways it's broken yeah it is it's it's um <sighs> man it's depressing to to think that but it is you're not you're totally right yeah um viva las vegas baby Viva Las Vegas. Viva La- but yeah, Viva Las Vegas. In the meantime, fucking I'll have a $1 foot long, pump some processed cheese onto that shit, and then go play some Sex in the City slots. Hell yeah. In 2020. But, all, right, you know. all right. So so my subject is um, 1593 Transported Soldier Legend is the name ah. of the article. Um, is this all right well is what this yes i'm not gonna go too much into it but what i'm gonna ask is yeah. is this a man who found himself in Me- mexico city despite it is okay i'm semi-familiar i'm gonna read the opening paragraph a folk legend holds that in october 1593 a soldier of the spanish empire named gil perez in a 1908 version was mysteriously transported from Manila in the Philippines to the Plaza Mayor, now the Zocalo, in Mexico City. The soldier's claim uh, to have come from the Philippines was disbelieved by the Mexicans until his account of the assassination of Gomez Perez das Marinas was corroborated months later by the passengers of a ship which had crossed the Pacific Ocean with the news. Folklorist Thomas Alabone Hanvier in 1908 described the legend as current among all classes of the population of the city of mexico Mm. 20th century paranormal investigators giving credence to the story have offered teleportation and alien abductions as explanations okay wait (laughs) sorry you know what makes me believe it more is the local the fact that it survived in local folklore than any 20th century theorist theorizing about this yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that there is something like really um 
weirdly vivid and meaningful to this story and i'm inclined more than almost any other paranormal story i've read about to like believe this one um (laughs) and maybe that's just the sign of a good folklore you know right um but uh it and i guess I'll, i'll jump to this part the 1908 story is what I have, I, I've did like found on Project Gutenberg and I'm mm-hmm. going to read from because it's, it's okay. a really good story and it's like really well written. But mm-hmm. that itself was based on a 1900 published story by a Mexican author. Um, okay. And then that was from a 1698 story that was recounted as fact by a historian, which in and of itself... There is a uh, a like a paragraph or you know like a statement in a 1609 history book about the people of Mexico City knowing about the assassination of this governor from the Philippines the day that it happened. So this story goes back amazing all through this. I mean, and 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 only in the 19th, in the 20th century does it become folklore, like. It, yeah. There are there are signs of it in written history that are built around like fact, and so it's. Uh, I mean, I don't. Who knows what the answer? We no one will ever know. But there is something very no. exciting and about I think, it. And I think there's a beautiful meditation on the notion of like human truths. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, and, and this tradition. is this is something yeah. that I've noticed in my own. It, like in this podcast that I keep coming back to is like the universality of the human condition that right. if you really dig into Wikipedia, you start seeing all of these different um, elements of our lives that are pop up in history. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes like in, in history class, when we were growing up, we're taught about famous dates and famous people and the the texture of it (laughs) the actual condition of them their personalities their their wants their beliefs like all of that stuff gets completely lost we talk about we talk about washington crossing the delaware and caesar crossing the rubicon but we don't actually talk about like the the human element the human element yeah Yeah. and so so i do i love the even even though the human element often gets expunged over time, if you start digging into history, especially like weird history, you right. get to see it very because much. Because I you remember know? in APUS, out of all, like, first day of APUS history, yeah, I said APUS history, um, the teacher, my teacher, first day of US history, he goes, my job is not to teach you US history. It pains me to say this, but my job is not to teach you U.S. history. It's to make sure that you get the highest score on a test that is about U.S. history. So, But in the midst of all the dates, the person that stuck with me the most, the person that I wanted to meet the most was John Brown. Because Mm. he seems like such a kook and yet the human element of his story is impossible to take away the date doesn't matter yeah 
the human element. And so, well, sorry, yeah, that I was mean, a bit of a diatribe. Yeah, fair like, enough. And also, uh, it's important for me to tell our listeners that John Brown did nothing wrong. That is important. <laughs> very, very important. And is an integral part of my belief system. John Brown did mm-hmm. nothing wrong. He's one of the only Americans in the history of this country to ever look at the material things in front of him Mm -hmm. and choose to do something completely outside of what would materially affect him. He said, he said, I'm not some like, you know, like moderate liberal who's going to cry about the morality of slavery. No, I'm going to go murder slave owners. I'm going to mm-hmm. change this myself. I know it doesn't affect me. The only thing that can happen to me is bad, but I'm going to do it anyway because I believe that strongly in how fucked up our current situation is. John Brown, oh, let's have a whole episode about John Brown sometime. I we love absolutely John can. Brown. Yes. Um, but see, but even then, you know, it was the human that like weird subjective little emotional element that. Yep. So, I'll let you talk about your thing. Now. All right. So, so I do I, the the article itself like has a nice little like it talks about the story it talks about like the times it's been um, mm-hmm. been uh, uh, written down and we went over that a little bit. So they specifically talk about the 1908 description by this folklorist Thomas Alabone Hanvier, who he's an American. A story writer and historian. He was born in Philadelphia, but he's a, a Provencal descent. Um, okay, and he he seems awesome. So I like I looked at his article. The picture of him is him dressed up as a a, a pirate from 1894 <laughs> for some reason. Um, just seems like kind of okay. a flamboyant guy. But I found yeah. that text, um, and it's called Legends of the City of Mexico. Uh, and it was he lived in Mexico for like 25 years and he wrote down uh, like basically all of this is from him like transcribing stories that he had been told while he lived there Uh, Uh and and so it's awesome so I'm just going to read some of it Um, in the introduction to it he says these legends of the city of Mexico are of my finding not of my making They are genuine folk stories. Each one of them is a true folk growth from some obscure, curious, or tragical ancient matter that, taking hold upon the popular imagination, has had built up from it among the people a story satisfying to the popular heart. And first of all, I just, I love the way he writes. I love that. It's like, it's it's very succinct. It's understandable and common, but it's not, but it's like, it's writing emphatic yeah, it, yeah it's he's a beautiful writer um it's yeah wow i do love that uh and then so i mean and mind you virgil and the listener uh i'm picking through like none of this is like in succession of the way like i would advise right. everyone go find tales of Mex- of the city of mexico if you like this uh and read all of it i plan to um but i'm picking out like Purple prose, as they say. Um, okay. Like, really nice stuff. But he says all of them, the stories, and most of, obviously the most incredible of them, have the quality that gives to folk stories in general their serious value. They reflect accurately the tone of thought 
and exhibit more or less clearly the customs and the conditions of the time to which they belong. Um, Amazing. The too sophisticated younger generation, unhappily, is neglectful and even scornful of them. Soon, as oral tradition, they will be lost. Uh, the best versions of them, therefore, are those which are current among the common people, who are the makers of them in the beginning, who, passing them from heart to lip and from lip to heart again through the centuries, have retained in them the subtle pith that clearly distinguishes a built-up folk story from a story made by one mind at a single melting, whose artless telling of them, abrupt, inconsequent, full of repetitions and of contradictions, preserves the full flavor of their patchwork origin. Like, mm. how wonderful is that? It's it's so... I, I love this, too, because it, 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 it kind of describes, like, what folklore is in the yeah. sense that this story is true to someone and part mm-hmm. of the thing that makes it full is that it is had has been told over and over again so everyone adds their own sense of truth to it but whatever it came out of the seed has something like there it's not like it was just made and maybe sometimes it's made like i don't know like the story of santa claus is folklore but right. Santa Claus is based on a real person, you know? Yes. And there, there, so there's some magic to it regardless of, of the truth at the beginning. I happen to think that this folk tale, like, actually has some weird truth to it. Like, there's some magic to it in, in general. Oh, amazing. Uh, okay, and then, so he, then at the end of his introduction, he talks about a man named Hilberto. He says, Hilberto was so obliging as to spend several afternoons in our quarters, coming to us in the dull time between luncheon and dinner when his professional duties were in abeyance, that I might write at his dictation some of the many folk traditions with which his mind was stored. Like our dear Josefa, he was an absolute authority on the current popular versions, and he seemed to share her faith in them. But he told them, because of his substantial knowledge of Mexican history, more precise, more precisely than she told them, and with an appreciative understanding of their antiquarian interest that was quite beyond her grasp. Um, mm. In the thrilling portions of his stories, he would lean forward, his voice would deepen and gather earnestness, his bright brown eyes would grow brighter, and his gestures, never violent and always appropriate, would enlarge the meaning of his words. With this instinct of a well-bred man, he invariably addressed himself to my wife, and through his discourse ran a constant refrain of, and so it was, senorita, pues si, senorita, uh, that made a point of departure for each fresh turn in the narrative, and that at the same time gave to what he was telling an air of affirmative finality. Usually he ended with a few words of comment, enlightening as exhibiting the popular viewpoint, either upon the matter of his story or by way of emphasizing his verity. I love this. I I can't think of a better description of someone telling a story, you know, like, like just like this. I think that there's so much joy and, and I am prone to telling stories. Like I really Mm -hmm. enjoy the act of telling stories. And I think that there is like something to it. Um, no, I and think I, this is written by someone who understands exactly like the beauty of 
what we're talking about right now. Where of the just, human condition, right? Like, yeah. this is written by someone who understands humanity and, and seeks to find the best in it, you know? And I and I don't think I'm I'm feeling this way because I recognize what he's doing with his writing. I think I'm feeling this way truly because of the writing, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely, it's, it's, absolutely. Oh, amazing. Um, it's doing. All right, and this, this is the last, this last paragraph of the introduction. He says... Okay. Um, because of the intelligent interest that Gilberto took in my folklore collecting, it was a source mm-hmm. of keen regret to him that our meeting had not come a little earlier, only two years earlier during the lifetime of his great aunt, who had known, as he put it comprehensively, all the stories about the city that ever were told. I too grieved, and I shall grieve always, because that ancient person was cut off from earth before I could have the happiness of garnering the traditionary wisdom with which she was so full charged. But my grief is softened and even is tinctured with a warm thankfulness by the fact that a great deal of it was saved to me by my fortunate encounter encounter with her great-grandnephew, who so faithfully had treasured in his heart her ancient sayings, and who so freely, to the winning of my lasting gratitude, gave them to me for the enrichment of my own store. I, I, I'm just like, stru- I'm struck by it, right? Like, I, I don't, I mean, maybe we're exaggerating it, like, because we've Thomas, been talking for an hour and a half, but Thomas it's like beautiful. Al- Alabone Hanvier, Janvier, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Seems Bowie-esque. Yeah. Yeah, the absolutely. pirate photo you're describing. If anyone sees it, it's somewhere on the spectrum from Keith Richards to David Bowie, and I don't mean that in a funny pirate way. I mean that there is a brand of beautiful human, and I think Thomas Alabone Hanvier is one of them. It's also this is also like um, I feel like a bit of a lost art, like the essayist. Mm-hmm. You know, like this kind of mm-hmm. like truly grasping just human feeling in a way like yeah. this. I don't know. I, 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 I cherish writing like this. I would love to see more of it. Oh, my God. And I love I, a lot of these are things that I feel, too. Like if you ever yeah. if you ever talk to someone in a like a, when you're traveling or in a place you don't know and they like mm-hmm. let you in. It's such mm-hmm. a it's. It's something to cherish, you know? It's so beautiful. Yeah. Hawaii was a big one. Sure. Yeah, that, I believe it. You know? Somewhere between calling Waikiki Waikiki and, like, getting a taste of my friend's grandfather's food that he's just making on a Friday. Yeah. You know, at the beach. But, like, getting a plate, you know, of that. Oh. Uh, it's yeah it there's there's so something so special in like hospitality mm-hmm. like across cultures to something that you don't know and and opening right. yourself up to that is like something really uh beautiful yeah. and poignant too and understanding how fragile it can be right every day i think i i you know i wish i knew what my grandpa's lumpia recipe was yeah my sister very recently said, you know, like, she asked the family, like, does that, did anyone get it, like, properly? And not, not any real answers. And I thought, oh, no. It's gone. Oh, no. Yeah. It's the best lumpia I've ever had. And, oh. God. 
and he made the best ambrosia salad. No did marshmallows, he? though. My family did say, yo, one thing you have to tell your friend John, my aunt who was listening. She said, I listened the whole day while I cooked on Thanksgiving. And she goes, one thing I want to make sure people know, we did not put any fucking marshmallows that's, in that shit. That's good. Know. That's probably for the best. Yeah, yeah like It was that like is... whipped cream and stuff, but like... Yeah, no absolutely. Yeah. I agree that that is the fucking deal breaker. That's the line. There's the line. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. All right. Continue. No, we you're good. You're good. to the... Yeah, the so so this is uh, as um, Javier. Shoot, I no, sorry, Javier Thomas Thomas Javier. Um, uh, his title for this story is the Legend of the Living Specter. Uh, his he just opens with such a bang. Apparitions of dead people. Senor, of course, are numerous and frequent. I myself, as on other occasions I have mentioned to you, have seen several specters, and so have various of my friends. But this specter of which I now am telling you, that appeared on the Plaza Mayor at noonday and was seen by everybody, was altogether out of the ordinary. Being not in the least a dead person, but a person who wore his own flesh and bones in the usual manner, and was alive in them, yet who certainly was walking and talking here on the Plaza Mayor of the city of Mexico in the very self-same moment that he was also walking and talking in a most remote and wholly different part of the world. Therefore, in spite of his wearing his own flesh and bones in the usual manner and being alive in them, it was certain that he was a specter, because it was certain that his journeying could have been made only on devil's wings." The day on which this marvel happened is known most exactly because it happened on the day after the day that the governor of the Filipinas, Don Gomez Perez das Marinas, had his head murderously split open and died of it in the Molucca Islands. And that gentleman was killed in that bad manner on the 25th of October in the year 1593. Therefore, since everything concerning this most extraordinary happening is known with so great an accuracy, there can be no doubt whatever, but that in every particular, all that I know I'm telling you is strictly true. <laughs> I fucking love it, man. I just love it. I mean, I'm, I, I'm so engaged by it, and I just think, oh, it's so great. Um, so then he says... Uh, Uh, so, sorry, I got, I got lost. Um, no, you're totally fine. On a day being the day that I just named you, the sentries on guard at the great doors of the palace, and also the people who at the time happened to be walking nearby in Plaza Mayor, uh, of a sudden saw an entirely strange sentry pacing his beat before the great doors of the palace, quite in a regular manner, marching back and forth with a gun on his shoulder, making his turns with soldierly propriety. What made everyone know that he was a stranger in the city was that the uniform which he wore was of a wholly different cut and fabric from that belonging to any regiment. Uh, in fact, as was perceived by one of the sentries who had served in the Filipinas, the uniform worn in Manila by the palace guard. Uh, and so he, the, they ask him who he is. Uh, and uh, the sentry, most... Uh, the captain of the guard came, he asked the stranger sentry most sharply what his name was, and where he came from, and what he was doing on a post to which he had not been assigned. To these questions, the sentry made an answer, 
speaking with an easy confidence and not in the least ruffled by the captain's sharpness with him, that his name was Gil Perez, that he came from the Filipinas, and that what he was doing was his duty as near as he could come to it, because he had been duly detailed to stand sentry that morning before the governor's palace. And although this was not the governor's palace before which he had been posted, it certainly was a governor's palace, and that he therefore was doing the best that he could do. <laughs> um, Yo, gotta love that dude. He's like, you know what? I'm just doing my best. Yeah. And to these very curious statements, he added quite casually that the governor of the Filipinas, Don Gomez Perez das Marinas, had had his head murderously split open and was dead of it in the Maluka Islands the evening before. Uh, it was a matter that the viceroy himself had to look into. Uh, therefore, before the viceroy, who at the time was the good Don Luis de Velasco, Gil Perez was brought in a hurry, and to the viceroy he told over again just the same story. But when it came to explaining the main matter, how he had been shifted across the ocean and the earth, and all in a single moment from the guard mount before the governor's palace, uh, Gil Perez was at a stand. How that strange thing had happened, he said, he knew no more than Don Luis himself. All that he could be sure of was that it, it had happened, because certainly only a half hour earlier he had been in Manila, and now just as certainly he was in the city of Mexico, as his lordship the viceroy could see plainly with his own eyes. As to the even greater marvel, how he knew that on the previous evening the governor of the Filipinas had had his head murderously split open and was dead of it in the Maluka Islands, he said quite freely that he did not know in the least how he knew it. Hilarious. Yep. Uh, well, senor, the one thing of which anybody really could be sure in this amazing matter, and of which, of course, everybody was sure, was that the devil was both at both the bottom and the top of it. And also, <laughs> there seemed to be very good ground for believing that Hill Perez was in much closer touch with the devil than any good Christian. Uh, I... I love that too. I love that conclusion. That's a hilarious conclusion. Uh, this is um, even better. One... Yeah, yeah, what? Okay, okay, no, 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 please. All right. Um, most men, of course, on finding themselves that way in the clutches of the Inquisition, would have had of all course. the insides of them filled with terror. But Gil Perez, Senor, being as I have mentioned, an old campaigner, took it all as it came along to him and was not one bit disturbed. He said cheerfully that many times in the course of his soldiering. He had been in much worse places, and added that, having a good roof over his head and quite fair rations, and instead of marching and fighting only to sit at the ease and enjoy himself, he really was getting, for once in his life, as much of clear comfort as any soldier had a right to expect would come his way. Which is awesome. Amazing. Everyone in this story is chill. Which... <laughs> yeah, it... The... Because there's something about, you know, you know what's interesting that's like probably terrible for someone who wants to be in entertainment um, and who has done entertainment stuff is like, I dream about a story that just does not have any conflict um, right. aside from, you know, the fact that he may have teleported, but everyone is chill. Yeah, right? They're just like, hmm, this is weird. It's probably oh. the devil. And they yeah. do, so they do, they imprison him. They imprison him. Okay, for, yeah, I mean, of course. But he, they but he literally is like, this is, this is cool. Like, he, this is, yeah. this is better than I get when I'm a soldier. Right, like, that's what I love. Yeah. 
Um, and then he, so, so they don't know what to do with him. Um, and then, uh, and then on a day, a new turn was given to the whole matter. When the galleon from the Filipinas arrived at Acapulco and brought with it the proof that every word that Gil Perez had spoken was true. Because the galleon brought the news that Don Gomez Perez das Marinas, the crew of the ship that he was on having mutinied, really had had his head murderously split open and was dead of it in the Maluka Islands, and that this bad happening had come to him at the very time that Hill Perez had named. Moreover, one of the military officers who had come from the Filipinas in the galleon and up from Acapulco to the city of Mexico uh, recognized Hill Perez the moment that he laid eyes on him, and this officer said that he had seen him only a day or two before the galleon sailing. Which is... So fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. I am someone, as I'm sure everyone always says, like, I always want to believe. My thing is, did he just rowboat himself a day earlier? So, so, I mean, the, the, um, the story itself on its face, I think Mm -hmm. is like, is vacuum sealed from, like, like, uh, kind of talking out of it the only okay. i mean the, the the main thing is that it's folklore and so it's like well yeah yeah, yeah. if if he if it's just a story that the people of mexico told themselves but if it but if there's any realization to like the reality of it right then it's the most fantastical thing that i've ever heard and i have a hard time like assigning any sort of realistic explanation to any of it i love I that about it you know i just think it's i think it's beyond the the any sort of realist even like the 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 plagues you know like or not the plagues right. the um fuck what am i the biblical um the 10 plagues oh yeah i guess there are the plagues yeah um like are there's they not called the plagues no i guess they are yeah because i knew just... immediately what you're talking about yeah uh, like even those, I think that there is an ability to like prescribe some science to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This also interestingly, interestingly enough, if you go to the Wikipedia article for teleportation, this is in the sea. Also, it's the only like historical um, kind of uh, story like this that exists in the tele the realm of teleportation all of the rest of it is very hard science and then if you go to see also 1593 transported soldier legend is the very first thing okay so since we've already established that i'm higher than i was before this story yes let's go into full full developing a show mode here all right the wikipedia people some enough people know the truth of this that that they have to like mark it every time this is a marker when you see it on the bottom of teleportation it's the story it's being pushed it's being pushed so are we this, this is like a um a, like a what it like an uh, like a um like a deep state or, or uh, what? What is the Illuminati kind of like cover up <laughs> yeah, style? Yeah. yeah, like where the Wikipedia people aren't just 
beautiful, good-hearted <laughs> nerds in their living room. The general populace, yeah. Yeah, who happen to be really good and into this, you know, like, the wealth of knowledge for free kind of thing. Uh, they're actually, they actually know the something-something code. I more like the idea that it actually happened. This is, like, my one escapist... No, but that's what I mean, is, like, if they just put it in with other things... Oh, it's, it's like, like kind of, like... Oh, here's, like, it's, like, a... the Slender Man or other cryptids, whatever. But they're, like, yo, this is real. <laughs> we, oh, we can't explain this one away. So, so it's, real. like, it's, like, um... It's, like, one of those things where you just keep putting it front and center to, mm-hmm. to like, make it seem ridiculous or make it seem mm-hmm. fantastical which which explains away i also love the fact that that this happened in a culture that is virulently religious like loves mm-hmm. the like the 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 miracles of jesus and immediate was like nope this is the devil like why what i love yeah why is this what not, love- why is he not a saint i don't understand that what I, well see for me what gives legitimacy to the story is that there was no reason for this to be to happen moment to be faked because there's no culture of faking ufo sightings right yeah yeah, yeah totally like that doctoring videos that didn't exist and then on top of that the populace's explanation for this is not more rational than the lie right Right, yeah. if it was a lie, so, which makes me think that they were so cool with it and not scared to be called the devil, because it really did happen, and the soldier can only respond the way he does because, in my opinion, as a millennial who's seen a lot of TV and is literate in like TV tropes, the idea of creating this character makes sense. The fact that this guy was that way from the beginning and actually in the moment as written over a hundred years ago. Yeah, I, th- I see it. I mean, I, I, yeah, I do. I think that there is, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said for this. Um, like it's not a good story. If you're, if you're inventing a story, like mm-hmm. why does it why does it play the way that it does? Because here I'll finish I'll finish it with the like the last paragraph. Um, it, he he they say that um, the familiars of the holy office for the last time put their heads together and puzzled and puzzled over the matter. And at the end of their puzzling, they decided that Hill Perez was an innocent person and that he undoubtedly had had criminal relations with the devil and was full of wickedness. Um, therefore, they... Or- Not benign relations. Yeah, they ordered that, being innocent, he should be set free from his cell in Santo Domingo, and that, being a dangerous character whose influence was corrupting, he should be sent back to Manila in the returning galleon. And that was their decree. Hill Perez, senor, took that disposition of him in the same easygoing way that he had taken all other dispositions. Save that he grumbled a little and was expected of an old soldier over having to leave his comfortably idle life in his snug quarters and to go again to his fightings and his guard mounts and his parades. So the resolution of the story 
is that they're like, this guy is weird. We don't want him here. And so they sent him back to the Philippines. So it's like, I, I mean, it's I the perfect the... story. It is like both the most like poorly structured story and perfect and human in the same way. And I love it the, about it. The thing is, it's just too simple for this day and age. Yeah. It's just too simple. And yet, if you set it where it is, it is so magical yeah. and fantastical it's, in a way that like... It's one of the more engaging... It, it's a story that as I was doing research, I found myself thinking about like kind of constantly. Where I was like, I... I know it's ridiculous to think that this happened, but I think it happened. And I keep finding myself imagining it and thinking about it and smiling. Like, literally just daydreaming yeah. and smiling about, like, that guy, he woke up in Mexico City. And he was like, whoa, this is crazy. They jailed him. They found out he was right. And they were like, this is scary. And so they just sent him back. It was, It's amazing. It's so good. Yeah. Because at every moment, I'm thinking of what the person making dis- the several decisions about his fate is is thinking. Because, like, the response is not so strong and reactionary. It's not like, you know, burn him. Right. It's like, I don't know what to do. And I must therefore do the only thing that makes sense which is to send him back where he belongs because that makes more sense than anything else I've been told. It it's, it's so human and it's, and it, it, it is largely um, removed from a lot of the like pain and anguish and ugliness of the past, which is real. I mean, don't get Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of hand waving Mm -hmm. through the pain and the anguish and the ugliness, but like, very refreshing to think about a story and read about like people just like being normal in the past you know but also under completely abnormal circumstances you know there's 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 a combination of the two in this story that i love and i i just find it very engaging i think this this writer is like incredible i do i honestly plan on reading this whole book i i'm really excited about it the tone of it, the tone of it just hits like the perfect tightrope. I mean, and also like, like I, you know, I read it a bunch, but we haven't commented on like what a, there's such a, the form of him saying about the governor of the Philippines having had his head murderously split open and murdered and died of it in the, like this island. Like it's so, it's very, very clever uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could honestly like completely just transcribe this story into like modern story making or you know like filmmaking or whatever, and and it would be engaging and fun, and I would enjoy it. Yeah. Oh wow, I really like this Thomas. Yeah. Alabone Jamvier. Jamvier. Yeah, he rocks. He really does rock. I, I'm. He's got quite a, a like big body of work too. He wrote a ton of stuff about uh, like a, a lot of different stories set in Mexico. But then um, he also looking at his body of work. He wrote a book in 1894 called "The Women's Conquest of New York," in which the suffrage movement is fict- fictitiously presented. That could be fun. 
amazing. I would love to read yeah. it. Yeah. There's something about the tone of this that is really inspiring me where it's like... It feels the the writing and not necessarily the subject matter, but the writing itself feels very optimistic in a way or like, yeah. like very refreshing and very, it's just like, it's, it comes from a place of joy, you know, just like joy right. about the human the wonder, wonder. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's kind of that, uh, Miyazaki. Yeah. I could, I could see that for sure. Because I feel like the commentary in Miyazaki films are very similar to what we're talking about now in a lot of like dystopian pieces of art. And yet there's a sense of wonder in there that Javier Thomas, I'm just going to call him Thomas. Yeah. Seems yeah. Like I don't think we can, yeah, I don't think we can really pronounce either of his middle name or last name. I really love the idea that this is like... That it's the little MacGuffin through history that, like, the good orators of that are trying to perpetuate the beauty of humanity. It's the little MacGuffin that they're carrying with them, this story. I will say this, too, and I, I feel like this is maybe a good, like, way to end this, is, like, uh-huh. I feel a certain level of pride in... Um, profligating this story and and right because we are we are, we are one yeah like literally like con- without conflating yeah us. like literally continuing yeah. the the legacy of this story and like that is like the tr- the true nature of folklore and of 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 um stories in general is this idea of like talking about them and and discussing them and 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 continuing them and and right. feeling them in your heart like there i think that there's a reason this story hasn't died is because it's mm-hmm. good and it it makes it makes me happy it's a story that makes right. me happy uh and it's worth talking about and worth telling yeah. and it does make you believe in a possibly more wondrous world in a way that's not naive yeah and uh, childish or whatever yeah like, oh yeah there's a little bit of yeah and Wonder. and it's also, I mean, in this day and age, not IP owned and locked in a storage cabinet in some multinational, you know, like evil corporation, mm-hmm. which I also find important. The seed of that. You could make an Armando Iannucci movie about this where... We honestly, we got to get Armando Iannucci's number because everything we talk about, I'm like, what if Armando Iannucci made this into a movie? That's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Did you know he was he was like in like what is like seminary school or something? He was gonna be a monk. Really? And then he read I wanna say like Paradise Lost. And that made him like that took him on the journey to become one of the most like prolific comedy writers. Oh my god. That rocks. Alright, folks. Um I think it's time folks. this was a great episode. Thank you oh. for getting this far into it. Uh, Amazing. Just know what it felt like a long episode was even longer. Yeah. And honestly, this may... If for me, it felt shorter than the last <laughs> one, which wasn't bad. But just... All over the place. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, hell yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll see you, see you soon. Bye. Bye.
Bye.